every once in a while my friendship group would have a really interesting conversation about sex and I would get so excited and just be like oh my god this is the best conversation ever like, we're talking <laughs> about things that we don't normally talk about and this is amazing and I want to keep doing this thing yeah. but they would only come up every once in a while and I think it took me a couple of years to realise that that could be a job. And when yeah. I did, I was like, holy fuck, this is great. I can talk <laughs> about this stuff all the time. I think the the way I can word it with the most clarity is just I really like having the conversations that people don't about right. sex and relationships because we often do talk about sex, but I find that a lot of the time we're talking about all the things around sex, not the actual sex. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Ruby. Hello Ruby. Hello. And I should say, we're outside in your back garden of your new flat. Yes we are. And you've been gardening in this garden all morning. Yeah, I woke up on, it's rare to wake up on a Sunday without a hangover and I got really itchy and needed to do something. Um, so I spent like three hours de-weeding this forest of a garden. So I feel very accomplished right now. Right. It's nice to kind of bask in my glory. <laughs> it's ni- yeah, it's nice and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty sunny day. I walked here on the, like, to get here uh, over, like, through nice parks and stuff. Mm. So it all feels very relaxing. Although I'm saying this just as, a, as an aeroplane is passing over our But head. that's the thing. You kind of, you expect that if you're somewhere really tranquil and in nature that nothing else everything should stop and I've had lots of experiences before of being particularly in Sri Lanka so my mum's from Sri Lanka so I like spent a bit of time there um you go somewhere like really really quiet and you think oh this is gonna be so beautiful like so romantic and then like there's a teenager playing like a Taylor Swift song really like tinnily on their phone you just think well no because that's this is their space and they're entitled to it like that plane's cool. That's, yeah, no, I like <laughs> I like the plane, and I mean, you know, some people uh, don't like uh, background sound. Uh, some people do. But ones who, ones who, uh, some of the ones who like background sound are people who have ASMR, and yeah. apparently aeroplanes are like real triggers for ASMR feelings. Oh, so I, I always think that. it's annoying when this happens because maybe it makes it less less accessible to partially hearing people, but at the same time, it's giving people with Someone ASMR else. some pleasure. So. It kind of balances out, and you can't, you you literally cannot record in London, not in the way that I do, which is quite an open way of recording the kind of space around us. Yeah. Uh, you can't do it without getting a few aeroplanes. There's like no part of London that hasn't got aeroplanes uh, going over it. Because I live in Leytonstone, which isn't too far from here. Like there's, I think there's two, there's like two airports going over. So that's the way it goes. I'm kind um, of alarmed moving here, though. I'm still getting used to how quiet it is. Like. Planes aside, this is a really no, it's quieter, nice, it? quiet area, and it's kind of like the first time I've moved somewhere that's nice. Right. Um, I was living in quite a grotty warehouse before moving here, right. and um, I feel like a bit of a grown-up now. Right, and we're, and we're being very like grown up and wholesome because we're drinking lemongrass tea. Lemon balm well, tea. Well, lemon balm, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I discovered some lemon balm at the bottom <laughs> of our garden, so that's being put to good use. Yeah, which is, which is great. I feel, yeah, I feel very healthy today. We've walked here, and you've, you know, <laughs> I've kind of by accident been a healthy person today. Which is, which is always great. good. It's the best kind of healthy, like when you don't mean to be, it just happens naturally as part of your life. Yeah, it's convenient health, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, right, right. Sounds good. It's kind of like what health is supposed to be, being like connected with 
with the world and stuff like that that I often forget when I'm sitting in my house editing away yeah, uh, in a box. Yeah, screens all day and going a bit mad. Right. So the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? So, Dave, I know you through Smut Slam. So I first heard about Smut Slam, which is a storytelling evening that's based around real life stories of sex and relationships um, I saw a flyer for Smut Slam in an amazing sex shop in Hoxton called Shush Store right. which is like a women's focused sex shop yeah. which is one of my happy places um, <laughs> and I, the thing that caught my eye was that the theme for a, a week was sex education Right. and because I am a sex educator my little ears pricked up and I was like oh I, wanna, I really want to go to that so I took some colleagues to that uh, Smut Slam and had no expectations of what it was going to be like and just thought it was the best thing ever um, and wasn't expecting to tell a story. But then when I was there, I realised that I had a really good story of something right. that happened, like, just the weekend before. Well, yeah, you're um, a sex educator, so you've got stories about sex education. I it's, do. It's kind this, of the most logical place that you'd have, although this, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about no. sex education, was it? It was about it was about kind of seeing sex in a different way, which what, which kind of... Yeah, that's education. Yeah, it definitely is. Sure. But it wasn't, like, my, my day job stuff. No. It was... It was some. It was a naughty story. Um, so yeah, that's how we know each other. And yeah, I've been coming to Smut Slam ever since. That's enjoying right. Enjoying myself. Yeah. And, yeah, I was like last year. I was co-producing it. This year, I've stepped back from co-producing mm. it. But I think like Cameron's bringing it back. Like more spaced out because she's in Berlin so she's having to come over sure. um, and I think there's one coming up uh, at the end of June I think it's Monday the 23rd of June and if Monday isn't the 23rd then that's the wrong date Monday's the, the 25th Monday. because that's my birthday ah there you go and I think I'm yeah I'm going to be judging in that so I will be nice. going back which is nice it's nice I, I went to the to the first one without me to just to see how it went without me and it worked uh, absolutely fine without me so I, I made the right decision oh, stepping nice. back I thought um, well I'll see you there yeah absolutely Smart Slam is a strange place to meet people um, it's a good place to meet people but it means yeah. that you kind of I think on that night I think I told a story I think on the first night you were yeah, there yeah you did so you kind of hear things and we, you know what, what we hear about each other you know part of the rules of Smart Slam is supposed to stay at Smart Slam yeah although since we're talking together we're, we're perfectly allowed to divulge our own stories yeah. but not other people's yeah. Um, but yeah like it makes it makes it an interesting way to meet someone when they've heard some kind of intimate parts of your life but like uh, that's it that's the only context they've kind of had that's, for you I love that though yeah, it's good. I love I love being really nosy and hearing about that kind of stuff from people just in any context and I'm lucky because of my job that outside of work people do tend to tell me lots of stuff and and I really, and which really makes me happy but yeah I um that evening I hadn't realized that a friend of mine was in the audience who I've met through another I went on this really bizarre wonderful strange tantric retreat last year um, and met him there and we're we're still really good friends he's a lovely guy but we had we've slept together a couple of times and he was on a date with someone that night right and I the story I was telling was about my boyfriend at the time and I um, taking acid for the first time and he is Australian 
and the guy who was also in the audience with on a date with a girl is also Australian wow. and so had to keep kind of I think it was really funny the next time I saw him he was like I had to keep leaning over to my date and being like this story isn't about me I promise because <laughs> <laughs> that would be really weird if right. I if I'd inadvertently told a story of, about someone who was already there right. but we'd just not seen each other in the crowd yeah yeah that kind of freaked me out it's interesting as well, like because um, I do other true storytelling nights as well as Smart Slam, mm. and so I have this experience quite often of telling a, a, a weird facet of my life, and that's the bit people hear about. And uh, I mean, I've been in a relationship with my partner uh, for s- seventeen years. Um, I know, I know. Um, but but and like after eleven years, we opened up our relationship, right? Mm. Um, but it does mean that if people hear me in one context or another context, it sounds like you know, like it might sound like I'm being unfaithful when I'm not or it, or, it, or it might sound like I'm talking about Jen when I'm not you know what I mean it goes yeah, all, in all different directions like uh, depends on what story people hear of me like how they judge me yeah uh, and I guess like one of the nice things about Smart Slam is it is like a quite a non-judgmental space because everybody's talking about like the, the same kind of stuff together and it's kind yeah. of like celebrating that aspect of people and it's I think nice. the vast majority of people who go there and tell stories are they are really organic and unplanned and just a really lovely experience and you're just kind of right. being given access to someone's brain where there were there have been a couple of times when people have done things that have been really rehearsed mm. and it's just like oh mate this isn't the space for that and it really it kind of something that they've done to be successful has yeah. gone so has kind of had a real negative impact in a way that they probably didn't anticipate yeah that's interesting i think that's can be the case for true storytelling in general Mm. like which isn't to say there aren't amazing people who do prepared true stories but they tend to be people who sound like they're not prepared like they they present it that's like another level yeah that's like a level of skill whereas if somebody's telling a story i always say like just be honest about who you are and connect with the audience that's more important than crafting the perfect sentence and stuff like that that people quite quite often worry about yeah um so yeah the second question I ask everybody is what do you do now what do I do now aside from sitting in my garden and doing some uh, de-weeding I am a sex educator so I work for a sexual health charity Um, am I allowed to say names of things absolutely Um, I did a radio interview the other day and like I couldn't say anything it really made me panic I was like I can't swear I can't say all of these swear and promote fucking brilliant then Um, so I work for Brooke which is a sexual health charity for young people Uh, and if you haven't heard of it then go on the website and look at it because it's fantastic it's a really it's a really great charity Uh, it was founded by a woman called Helen Brooke who uh, in the 60s, married women could access uh, contraception, but unmarried women still couldn't. And so she started a clinic for young women who were unmarried. Um, and then that kind of spread all across the country, and, and which is kind of why there's a focus on young people in particular. Right. Um, so there are clinics all across the country, and there are, there's like educational teams, which I'm a part of. So right now I run a condom distribution scheme in London uh, that is across five different boroughs so young people can like pick up condoms for free but we also do education work and training and all that sort of stuff so 
day jobs a lot and I love it and it's great and really something that I can like sink my teeth into um, but then I am a chronically busy person and I do lots of other stuff as well so I yeah. um, I do adult talks that are mostly around pleasure and pornography they're like my two specialities so chatting about uh, female pleasure anatomy and like how and then I guess the social context that we have around genitals and why people feel weird about them still um, and trying to make it silly and fun and lighthearted and like a celebration rather than something that has to be really earnest and serious like in order to have a conversation about consent it all has to be like doom and gloom and actually right. no like this stuff should be fun we should be enjoying ourselves um, I also do what else do I do oh I have I run a project where I collect all of the first lines that people say to me on dating apps, oh, wow. which is called Open Up. So that's pretty exciting just in terms of the variation. Yeah, like, I bet that's fascinating. Yeah, it's a real a window into how into people's minds and like how people choose to um, present themselves online. Right. Just yeah, so I do that and I collect weird porn titles on free tube sites as well. So they're like my little hobbies. Um, and I also am a life model and I run life drawing classes as well. So my friend and I are starting a body positive life drawing class soon, in about a month. Um, and I think that's everything I do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it kind of falls under a similar umbrella. Yeah, they're all coming from the yeah, same place, aren't they? They're, they're definitely, you're definitely working in the same area, uh, although like in different ways. Mm. Like, then that's really interesting, like... Uh, doing it like in different contexts it, with different ages like that must like be yeah like you're constantly sort of having to change the way that you the way that you I guess like yeah the way that you present something will be different to one group than another or do you find that I you mean, do it the same all the way across I think it's more similar than people might right. think um I try to make it as similar as possible I mean there are there are advantages it's really nice when I can do a workshop with adults because I can swear I can use some of my own personal insight not I don't it's not about me and the sex I have but sometimes it can be really helpful to get someone's experience so sometimes I like I can make a joke about needing to have short fingernails if you're going to do something <laughs> right. in and around someone's genitals right. and then show them I've got short finger like all of that kind of stuff yeah um but then working with young people is still just so amazing because I think a lot of the time they are they have a lot more agency and um, depth than people presume sometimes right. it's really easy for like society to think the worst of young people yeah, when actually definitely. they have really fascinating things to say um, but compared to training so when I'm training professionals particularly around areas that are a little bit contentious like abortion decisions and LGBTQI plus issues um, and talking about porn the professionals will have a kind of a level of entitlement sometimes in that like this is what I do already and I'm I'm good at what I do and I know what I do and then also they might have like up to 40 50 years of an opinion that they've that has just become like more and more deep rooted right. so when someone comes there and really has a different opinion to me or and it's less about me but has a different opinion and is not sex positive in the way that Brooke the charity is right. um you're you're not just battling with like with something on a more surface level you're you are having to go like deep 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 and uh, to, to try and sort that stuff out whereas with young people I feel like they are first of all they will say things a lot of the time without thinking 
is this wrong? Should I be saying this? Should I not? So right. someone will say something homophobic and I'll go, okay, that was homophobic. Cool. Let's talk about that and let's unpack it. Whereas a professional will think, I'm thinking something homophobic, but I have enough social yeah, etiquette know and knowledge to, to know not it. to say yeah. this or to know. And so that's hard to get through. Right. Um, but young people just seem are, are on the whole easier to are more open-minded right like i and also i'm quite young i come from, i i'm sort of in a similar generation i don't know how the like xyz thing works that always really confuses me yeah me too um but like so what i'm, I'm working with like gen z and right. that's not super far from where i am right and i feel that it's there's there's just this really interesting open-mindedness that goes on even if someone is it's not the thing that they're into or they don't want to go there or they, they find something uncomfortable, they're able to open up the conversation right. with less resistance than people who are of older generations. I mean, that makes sense because, I mean, you're either in either case, you're often going to be dealing with telling someone everything you've kind of learned is not right. Yeah. Like, I find this myself. I, I do work around masculinity and sort mm. of gender and it's a similar thing you like we've all learned from birth that there's binary genders which is not true all of these things right and then you like come up like an adult they've had like 50 years of not of believing that but I'm untruth. a man and this is yeah, what I have to and do exactly and and whereas whereas yeah a young person they've only had you know 15 or 10 or whatever it is years of of believing the lies and also they're sort of like starting to they're at the point where they're trying to work out what the truth is they haven't sort of completely set they're still everything. collecting data yeah right exactly mm. Exactly, yeah. Right, even up to like 22, 23 or whatever, our brains are still forming, which yeah. is great. Like, like, like people th- sometimes might use that to kind of uh, patronise young people, but I don't think that, it, that they've got plastic, their minds are more plastic than, than ever after. Like, that's the best, they're the kind of, potentially yeah. the wisest place to be, you know, a place where you can change and grow and adapt, which feels very hard once you get to a certain age. Yeah, definitely. So that's re- so that's really interesting that you work in kind of the same area, uh, in all of the kind of different strands of what you do. I mean, what was it that made you interested in in sex education? I wish I had a more interesting answer for this because this is always something that people ask me. Right. I, I think maybe I might just <laughs> make something up at some point. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess I've always been interested in always is inaccurate actually I didn't think about sex that much in t- in the way that I do now throughout my teenage years right. but I guess when I was 19, 20 and had sex for the first time with someone who was genuinely interested in my pleasure that was the beginning of me understanding like that was the start of a genuine sexual journey right. I guess whereas before I lost my virginity quite young and I was very much I think I kind of lived my teenage years really trying to be like a skins character uh, like <laughs> just thinking well this is what I should be doing right right um, so I was very very concerned about being cool and to the point where I actually don't think I was thinking about what I wanted, which is, which is, I think is the same for loads and loads of teenagers of just like, let's just go, let's do this thing. Yeah. And, and you kind of got your blinkers on and you're just like head down, let's just get through these years. And right. So I think when I was at university, I started actually having ex- inquisitive sex. Right. And then was reading more about sex and we started to watch more porn and just, and kind of, 
every once in a while my friendship group would have a really interesting conversation about sex and I would get so excited and just be like oh my god this is the best conversation ever like, we're talking about things that we don't normally talk about and this is amazing and I want to keep doing this thing yeah. but they would only come up every once in a while right. um, and I think it took me a couple of years to realise that that could be a job and when yeah. I did I was like holy fuck this is great I can talk <laughs> about this stuff all the time because I guess the more the more that I've worked in the field the more I'm kind of I think the the way I can word it with the most clarity is just I really like having the conversations that people don't about right. sex and relationships right. um, because we often do talk about sex but I find that a lot of the time we're talking about all the things around sex not the actual sex right. and those conversations are really important but it will kind of I know I'd over, I'd overhear a conversation with like, of like some women in a cafe and they'd be talking about a date and everything that got them up to the point of having sex. Right. And then it would be like cut to the morning after. Right. And you da, don't da, da, show da. that bit. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind train of, goes into the tunnel and then yeah. Yeah. It's like well you you we all know what happens yeah. and it's like no we don't know we what don't happens and we need to talk about it loads more. Right. Um, so yeah, and that I think that's why a fascination with pornography and dating apps and all these things that like really influence us and yet we don't really talk about we can see very privately right. and it's a, it's a very insular relationship that we have with with some with, with an outlet right um, we often even don't talk to ourselves about sex i think that's the that is the whole thing that i've that's yeah that's it basically i yeah. always when i'm talking to particularly to adults but also to young people it's saying like you need to start having conversations with people about this and yes, it's really important to have conversations with other people, but at the start, you need to have a conversation with yourself. And it's that's probably the thing I say the most right. at work, actually. That's the thing that helps people. Of just We often go through life and living our sexual lives and not really stopping to think, wait a sec, is this what I want? What? What could I do to make this better for me? What could I do to make this more interesting or different? Or have I actually thought about why it is that I like this? Right. Whatever it is, just kind of, we often don't think it's important to communicate with ourselves. Right. And it's weird, like, I've definitely found, like, where I realised I didn't talk to myself about sex as much as I sh should is like when people have asked me, what do I like? What do you want to happen? What would you enjoy? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have any words. <laughs> Just the normal I don't, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, that's obviously not true. And it's taken yeah. me a long time to work out, you know, some, I'm, I'm only like at the start of working out what I actually want, what yeah. I like. And also those things change as All well. All the time, so, yeah. You know, now I'm 36, I've got to work out what I want and enjoy now, not mm. what did, not what worked for me when I was 18. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a weird thing that like, yeah, I, th I often have this experience in life of thinking I'm kind of a bit kind of clued up in an area because I read a lot of articles. And then, like, in the real world, like, somebody asks me something and I'm like, oh, I actually have no... No, I have never thought how I feel. I've yeah. read a lot of a lot of what other people think around the, the criteria. And obviously, that. that's super important yeah, to, to like read and think about what other people are think about the ways that other people are tackling this kind of stuff. But right. you do have to 
that's not a substitute for doing the right. work yourself. And I, I make art, right? So there's no, I would never advise an artist to only read theory about art and never do any practical art yeah. and work out what they aesthetically liked. Yeah. And in fact, I would normally say to an artist, don't read too much criticism. Work out what you like first, yeah. then read the criticism, then get a, a framework of theory around what you do. Totally. So yeah, I've, I've definitely approached it in the wrong way. But you know, there's still time to, to, to pull Ooh, that back. We're all learning and figuring <laughs> it out, aren't we? Yeah. I, but I kind of, I really like that notion that you don't need to read what other people are thinking. I guess to an extent with sex education, there is, it's based in a lot of fact. Yeah. So it's weird. I've kind of come at this from a creative background. So I used right. to work in film and I thought I was painting for a while and thought I wanted to do something that was more explicitly creative. Um, and I guess I still feel like my job is creative because it's about communicating and it's about telling stories to, a, to an extent. Um, and uh, it's just a subject matter that I think is the most interesting thing in the world. So I, I still very much work in a creative way. But um, undeniably, there's a lot of sex, sexual health and sex education that's clinical and that is yeah. this science world that I've kind of denied myself for a long time as a teenager you know being sort of typecast as oh well, you're one of the arty drama right, kids right. um science was kind of denied to me as much as i denied myself right it. so now i'm getting to the stage where i'm like oh god all of this clinical stuff is really interesting and i want to ne- learn more about that and actually that can influence these creative and emotional conversations yeah. so much so there is there is the reading that you need to do about sex but you can't just focus on that. Well, I think the reading's how you understand, like, things that aren't, like, it, your internal thoughts. Like, mm. like it's it, like with art. Like, it, it wouldn't be fair to say that an artist shouldn't read, like, about how, like, if, you know, say they're, a, like, a, a white middle-class man like me, they should learn about what that positionality means, what other people's experiences are. Yeah. Like, that's super important. And in sex, I guess it's the same thing. Like, it's it, you've got to work out what you want, but you also have to work out the kinds of things other people experience yeah, so you can slot else is you coming from. into them right and like literally and 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 and, and metaphorically yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah it's endlessly fun i just find myself having really good conversations all of the time which is nice and right. I, so I, I mean i sort of stumbled into the, this work but it's been so nice to to like find something that I am, I just genuinely think I'm never not going to be interested in this. Right. And, I th- and already, what I'm doing now demonstrates how many, like just the the beginnings of like how many ways this can be looked at. I'm kind of trying to come at this very core thing from lots and lots of different perspectives, and there are so many more, and I just want to do them all basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, but that's true. I think that's that's also true. I mean, I might not not be good at talking to myself about sex but it's definitely something that I think is endlessly fascinating like mm. like it's, it's been something like my work has generally like been around or like there's been a, a sex element of my work like for as long as I can think of that's great um, but then at the same like so I can see how it's, it's endlessly fascinating and what you, what, what you would get out of that I mean, it's also something that you like that you do. It's also a thing that you know you're the you're going and you're educating people, but you're also, I guess, it, by doing that, educating yourself more and having yeah. reflection on your own experience as well. And people, I think, sometimes when people meet me, they presume that I have like 
amazing I know everything <laughs> right, and I have right. amazing sex right. so it's all like just the best and the most extreme and all of that kind of stuff which isn't necessarily true because I will still go to talks and read things and my mind will be blown and I'll be like what? I didn't know that you could do that <laughs> right. fucking hell I want to try or like or very much knowing where my boundaries are in terms of I think some because I'm really interested in kink and um yeah just all aspects of kink in terms of where people come from to kind of start to uh, join different communities right. um and then also the social stigmas around kink in se- in lots and lots of different ways right, from right, outsiders right. is really fascinating um but because of that then i think people presume that i'm like the kinkiest and most extreme person right, in the world right. and actually i've kind of I've, I've had i've taken like a sort of sabbatical from kink for a while <laughs> which has been really refreshing and really lovely right because um, it's definitely something that's interesting and i think that sort of bdsm in particular is something that the vast majority of people are interested in to an extent and interested yeah. in exploring yeah. but actually it's been nice to remind myself that just because this is the work i do i don't need to keep pushing that and be like the most extreme or the best or whatever right. whatever thing it's actually at the end of the day the sex that I have is still something that's very that is personal right. and is is different to the way that I talk about sex right externally I mean I have that as well like as someone who's like d- d- tells true stories about like uh, being non-monogamous like one of the, the things I'm always sort of saying is you know like a lot of people assume that you open up your relationship or whatever and that means you're having loads of sex but that I'm not having loads of sex yeah uh, like, you're having so, loads of conversations yeah I can <laughs> like that's not the same as as, as I am and yeah. like and like the, the, I mean and also you, you, you might not want to like the freedom of of not having like restrictions within your relationship con- around uh, like sex doesn't mean that you're going to act on that that mm. freedom it's just it means it's there it means my, you can kind of like relax into it yeah my boyfriend is um we met about four or five months ago um so it's still it's a new relationship and we're non-monogamous we're non-monogamous but this is the first time that i've been uh in a relationship and it's begun as non-monogamous right if that makes sense right right and that's been really fascinating to kind of have all of these conversations but from the beginning and we're actually we're actually very close and have got really into each other really quickly right um but he recently slept with someone for the first time without me and the conversations that he had was having afterwards were really fascinating because basically he was sort of saying like well what is it that i want out of sex like if I if I'm with someone and we have a really exciting, curious, playful sex life together, I I don't I don't require to have sexual exploration with other people. Um, I'm happy. Like if I say I'm normal. That word is just really yeah, messing with not, me today. It's, it's like well, an enemy or well, something. And it's not the the, uh, the easiest of words. It's not to, uh, anyway. But I don't want to make some like gross abbreviation. Right. So if someone's <laughs> no. non-monogamous, just as you're saying, like you don't, that doesn't necessarily translate to action. It's right. it's a way of identifying yourself, and the, the action it can be really uh, different to people's expectations. Um, but it's sort of created a conversation of well, what are what are the reasons why people have sex, and then what do you want to get out of all of those different encounters? Because if you know that you can access something that's a really nice, exciting, secure sexual encounter with someone, then it kind of opens up all of these other possibilities of of the reasons why you could be having sex. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I'm still kind of playing with that thought in my mind, but it's like, oh God, that's so interesting. There are so many reasons why we have sex. Right. And also, I don't know, if you know that you have, are having sex with someone who really understands your body and can really help you access some lovely pleasurable things right. then maybe you're going into sexual encounters and your priority isn't your own pleasure it should never be the only priority but you're kind of you're there to explore someone else's body in a different way yeah but then like there's like everybody has such different ways of being around these things like some mm. people enjoy that like approach like being in the sex really for the other person or there are moments or times or like moments of sex I mean it kind of it's not a fixed thing I mean that's Mm. why it's endlessly fascinating because our relationship to it what it is I mean we're told it's one thing a very definite thing but that's not the only thing that sex is and in fact one of the things I've found really helpful in terms of thinking about sex is is, is realising that PIV, penis and vagina, for, for listeners who aren't down with the, the with acronyms, the <laughs> um, like, that's not the only kind of sex. And actually that meant that mm. I lost my virginity, whatever virginity means, ages before. Uh, I officially did yep. because I had other forms of sex way earlier. Although virginity itself is a busted concept that yeah, I don't, totally. don't have much time for. But, like, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's like there are so many different kinds of sexual experiences so there's lots of people out there who would consider like themselves to be more on the monogamous side of the spectrum but they might do things that other people might think well that's quite a sexual thing with somebody else but because it's not the 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 exact checklist of like that's the officially approved sexual thing we're supposed to all be doing in this configuration like that's yeah so it's 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 really interesting to like expand what sex is like you know does yeah. sex even have to involve like can sex be something where you don't connect with somebody else physically at all and you still have a kind of sexual experience with them i think that's definitely you true right can, yeah got, and that's so exciting that's like that's what the internet does for us yeah i went to um a a wonderful party called liquid love have you heard of it it's um it's really good fun it's it's just the, it's so silly um, which is I think why I really like it I'm kind of drawn to silliness a lot of the time in all aspects of my life but in terms of sex I think it's really nice to remind people that like this is a way of playing like right. it's meant to be fun it's right. meant to be funny sometimes right. um, <laughs> hopefully not all the time actually so this party called Liquid Love it's a sensual experience it's not it's not explicitly sexual but it it does it is sexual um but in a very different way so it kind of completely reprogrammed me in that same way that you're talking about what you basically do is get in a room with people and the floor's covered in tarpaulin and you're led by a very very lovely person who is a friend of mine and kind of guided and there's a good conversation and stuff beforehand everyone's made to feel really safe and then everyone takes their clothes off and lies on the floor and you have about 20 litres of warm olive oil poured all over you (laughs) and then you just like roll around for a couple of hours and it's so so it was just fantastic like I can't wait to do it again Um, but it's very it's really intense in a in a way that just like when I say a lot of oil it's so it's more it's a lot more oil than you think a lot of oil is you are so slippery that you can't sit up or like if you stood up you would immediately fall down again Everyone's just like writhing around like newborn gooey snakes wow. sort of thing. Um, and there's no, there's no penetration and no ejaculation in that space. And 
those rules really change the environment because then you're something might be sexual or it's more it's much more sensual than it is sexual but you might be touching someone but there's never an expectation of like oh I must know what is happening in your genitals right now and I must touch you in that way and get right. to this goal and do something right, there right. it's just really inquisitive and playful and you're kind of just sustaining this like lovely feeling that is so many things it's not only sexual at all um and I really enjoyed like playing and exploring in that space. I kind of, I think in the future, I'd really want to do that with more people of kind of having sex, but setting that as a challenge or a rule of like, we're not doing that. There's not going to be any penetration. There's right. not going to be any ejaculation. We're just going to like mess around and right. see what happens. Because I think a lot of the time, even if you're, con- if you're trying to be less goal oriented with sex, you still there's still something there there's still a temptation of like but I but this thing's gonna feel really nice and I want to get to this and and actually a lot of the time then when even if you're trying not to you uh the focus on that final goal or that goal in the middle of a sexual experience um can distract you from what's actually happening at the time right it's all like mindfulness and sex is a really interesting thing like being in my body is 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 a a difficulty for me like that's one of the things i like about sex is it's one of the times i do uh, that there i am i'm in Mm. my body yeah um whereas a lot of the time i can be very like i've i've learned you know i did dance for a year at university and that helped me a bit be a bit more of an embodied person yeah but i still think since then i've kind of got different kinds of disconnections from my body in other ways as well so it's 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 Mm. a really it's it's difficult to to be in the moment for a lot of people uh in sex and so it sounds like that's a really useful yeah i mean when i say in the moment i'm not sort of saying it's easy or like i don't want to use a a kind of a jargon term that people like that turns people off i know life is more complicated than than sometimes it seems like but it's then going back to that conversation with yourself of just checking in i always talk about this in terms of porn consumption of like you could do exactly the same thing so watch the same porn and masturbate in the same way if that's what you're doing and have the orgasm and the thing that you can do to avoid that like post-wank guilt that so many people have is just having a conversation and checking in with yourself before the experience happens of just thinking okay I'm here in my body right now this is what I'm going to want this is what I'm doing this is what I want to do okay now let's start doing that it's it's like a really really quick moment but I think it can help a lot of people because it just puts you where you are now and it sort of it gives it's allowing yourself and your body permission to do what you're about to do right really uh so that so that when that experience is over you don't have this hangover of guilt and thinking oh god what I just went I went somewhere else in my mind and I wasn't I wasn't me I wasn't present you are present you're kind of you're doing the thing that you're actually doing yeah, I mean, it's it's like masturbation is a really like shame filled thing. I mean, obviously, because like religions, major religions have sort of stamped that yeah. onto it. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think it's interesting now. I'm not saying that this is kind of universal, but like because some excellent kind of movements have existed and have said like women like masturbate masturbate in enjoyable ways see it as a sensual experience enjoy it um 
but I don't see that like that needs to happen a lot more like around men and masturbation yeah. because like like okay. wh- anytime we talk about me- men and masturbation it's always like pathetic like shameful concepts that we put around that we never say like hey like if you want to have a wank and you're a man don't do it like shamefully like uh, uh, like into the toilet bowl or whatever like mm. like ha- have a sensory experience like like light some candles whatever whatever like I know that's not, like almost a cliche but like but be but also, sensory about your senses and vary it up as well I mean, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm a bit guilty of doing this just currently I've got into a bit of a rut with masturbation because I have um, a magic wand and it's like right like, that makes it's just it like, pretty well, yeah, this is you just know the most straightforward do, thing in the world now get you there, um, right. but actually I always really encourage people that they should even with solo sex so masturbation you should try and do different things it's like regardless of your gender you shouldn't just settle for masturbating in one particular way so that can be what you're saying like lighting candles and making that really explicitly a central experience right. that can be just a space of challenging yourself of saying okay if I consume porn I'm going to I'm going to watch something that's really different to what I would normally do or I'm going to watch porn and I'm actually not going to touch myself I'm right. only going to do that afterwards and I'm really going to engage with what I'm watching or I don't know, I'm going to listen to something that's audio or do whatever it is. Like, there is so many infinite ways to arouse yourself. Right. Uh, and just play with that. Like, why would you not? It's, it's the most, it's like the most uh, safest form of sex, physically right. and emotionally. Right, right. So it's something that all of us should really be investing time right. into. Yeah, well, and it's interesting as well, like, arousal is such a... Uh, like uh, again it's a slightly taught thing as well as I think like there are certain kinds of bodies we're taught that are ones we're supposed to fancy yeah. and there's ones that are we're taught aren't and like that, those are social rules that have been sent to us like I found like looking at bodies that I'm not supposed to look at has been great like it's it's it's, it's opened up my my sexuality to in loads of different directions and yeah. made me more comfortable with my own body in some that's ways so or not not fully that's the that's the bit that I still need to, like it's easier to be sex positive or body positive about somebody else's sex or somebody else's body yeah. than it is about your own I've got I have a weird thing that I kind of I I'm not I don't think I'm big-headed. I really hope I'm not. <laughs> but I've re- I kind of realised it recently, being like in the last six months or so, that I do. I feel the best about my body when I'm naked. Like I feel really, really happy with my body I when mean, I'm naked. That's cool. But as soon as then, when you put something on my body that's meant to be sexy, right, right. is when I'm like, oh no, this is all. I this is weird like a right, lot okay. the, the kind of like stereotypical like sexy lingerie or sexy um, like bikini thing kind of it's the way that those clothes are constructed right. are telling people how they should be sec- like how right. they should look in a sexual way yes right um, so that's been kind of fascinating knowing that like if I I feel genuinely like if the if everyone were nude just all the time I would feel as comfortable as I do when everyone's clothed right. which I don't think many people feel no just because I think it's really nice I really like and then I have the I have a kind of problem because I also really like wearing clothes and yeah. wearing clothes is right. really important to me in terms of expressing myself like and... I make I make a big effort to express myself through right. what I wear right. um, but yeah I do I just can't shake the thing of like oh nudity's lovely and then and then I speak to lots of people who have a very very different experience and like their bodies as 
na- as completely naked is where some they will feel the most vulnerable right. and the most uncomfortable. Right. Right. Um, I guess because I've been life modelling for so long, that that definitely feeds into it. And you were saying like you doing your dance classes. I would really like to do something like that because I am uncomfortable with my body sometimes when it's when movement's involved. So not we're not talking like sexual, right. but I'm so used to being nude and staying still. And I can feel very powerful like that. I can feel really centered. It's like super meditative and relaxing and it's the only time in my life um when I am doing nothing and I'm just I'm there's almost like a submissive element to life modeling with yourself of like not letting yourself move if i'm holding a really long pose like right, i'm not right, i'm kind of having i'm challenging myself to to kind of work through pins and needles or pain or aches it's like it's really interesting as an experience but then when i have to move um that then i can feel quite awkward about that it takes me longer to get right. comfortable dancing or being vulnerable in a way where I'm moving with other people um, which again I don't know how I don't know how that compares to other people I mean I don't know I it says of like I I feel like generally worse about my body when I ha- when I have clothes on as well I think like I mean I don't I don't I don't You're just working out now well, I haven't had as much experience of being naked in public or in like semi-public settings as as, yeah. as you have, but I did a I've, I've done plays where I've which have involved nudity. I've uh, I've done I've, I've been to, I've been to se- a sex club a couple of times, so I'm mm. kind of familiar with that kind of context. Um, and I've done like some yeah I've done like naked modelling for art pieces. So I guess I've done live modelling. It was just when I did that with this this artist, it was it was photos rather than like so he was taking lots of photos yeah. of me. So it was just me and him, which like actually like probably sounds dodgier. Like in a, in a way, it was. I went to an artist's house and went in into his garage and he took loads and loads of photos of me naked. <laughs> um, that's true, but I, it, f- I felt more it, vulnerable. It was quite empowering in the end. I felt more vulnerable doing one-to-one stuff. Like, not in a... Yes. It's, it's more intimate, it's more extreme. I think if I hadn't have met his, like, partner and child, bef- like, and who were going out, and then, like, when I came in, that would have made me, like, more scared, I think. Yeah, you've got to be careful, like... Like, if you see, like, the context of who someone is, then that makes you a little bit yeah. more... But I, even so, that doesn't prove anything. Plenty of terrible people have partners and children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, I'm lucky, I've kind of... I don't model as much as I used to and so now I just do it with artists who I've known for a, a while and I don't I'm not actively looking for life modeling gigs right. through people that I don't know and trust already right. um, but yeah a few years ago doing that there was one time I went to this guy's house and I'd spoken to him on the phone and again like it, it really upset me because my judgment was, was had failed right um, right right because he seemed quite eccentric I work with I've worked in the past with quite a few very eccentric um, South Asian uh, artists who were in their like 60s and 70s. That's just ended up being my niche. I don't know why. <laughs> and so this guy fit into that category as well. Um, and then when I got to his house, he was really a, a, an extreme, extreme hoarder. Like right. not in a not in a fun story sure. kind of way. Like it was really alarming I've never been in a space like that that was so 
full of stuff right. in a quite unnerving way and really unclean um, and that's the only time that I've been somewhere and quite and then quite quickly I was like read the situation and was like this is not a place I need to be right now and I'm leaving yeah and I mean if you're like, going to be excuses. naked in somebody else's space that space has to be a, a space you want your body in like that's yeah. part of that I guess yeah it's, that was a weird one but I a few like last year I went to an artist studio who I've worked with for like two three years now and we were taking some photographs because he did this big painting of like six or seven of my bodies all writhing around each other which was quite cool Um, but we did that in the middle of winter and it was like a really old um, building where his studio is in North London and the heating had broken down and it was so fucking freezing that in the end we, we were kind of taking photos and I was like shivering and trying to keep warm so I ended up putting my socks and my shoes back on and then would occasionally put I've got this like big um grey velvet coat that almost goes to the floor and I kind of put that on in between us taking photos and weirdly we we spoke about this um quite recently both of us found that really weird and and it made it made it weird and sexual and intimate well, the, the clothes. Putting the clothes. Yeah, on. I reckon that I can understand that. And I was so not expecting it right, uh, th- before, and it was, and then it was, it just felt really quite vulnerable. And it's like, no, we we work together, we are friends, we trust each other, and it's all fine. But suddenly, like putting something else onto a body made it more obvious that I was nude. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I kind of, we kind of worked through that, and then it was really nice recently to have a giggle about it and go like. That was really weird, wasn't it? How did how did that work? And and we both and kind of both of us could pick that up from the other person that it was something that it really changed the environment that we were in. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean that's kind of one of the ways that we use clothes is to kind of like titillate, I guess, like mm. hide and then show. But like, but I, I definitely think it's there's a, there's something to like when you don't have clothes, like what you said about um, clothes are like designed to like make you look in certain ways and like when you don't have that context however you look can be what people get used to like yeah. that, like that's the way my body looks and it's not supposed to look like any other way whereas when I've got clothes on I'm always aware if if there's a bit of my body hanging out of my clothes or like uh, that yeah. kind of thing like how it shouldn't look I think clothes remind you well it, this is so obvious isn't it but wearing clothes reminds you or other people that socially you should be covering something right so like me wearing a pair of pants reminds people that it's it's a strange thing to have your genitals out right so whereas if they're just out people yeah. get used to it really right. quickly and and then also i think that that sort of brain thing of saying well you're not meant to have that part of that your body out which is why you've got it covered yeah. then immediately goes to something that is about sex and can be linked to shame or that's something that's private that's something that's hidden whereas just a naked body um is not a sexual thing right but there's and also- that, that's a lovely i love i'm so grateful that i do stuff with life drawing and life modeling as well as the sex educator stuff right. because it keeps me really grounded and it reminds me that a body is not only sex because I think a lot of the time I can end up talking about sex a lot because I like it so much and I I really enjoy those those conversations but it's so not the only thing and even now like I'm reading more about um fertility and menopause and stuff 
and it's really important to remind myself that there are so many other things that right. we that our bodies do because right. i'm very much in in my work it's just like nope it's just about the fun stuff right um and then it's just way more complicated than that all the time well also it? there's like this this there's a the, i mean i think clothes are also about power imbalances as well like mm. if one of you's got clothes and the other one hasn't that that, that doesn't feel very safe like uh, like the, i've been to like the naked cabaret in in uh, in edinburgh where like the everybody performs naked and all the audience are naked oh my God, and that's that like a so massively yeah and it's and, and that it makes like yeah it kind of it's a bit like true storytelling it's, it is for emotions that, that that does for bodies it's like yeah you're all just there visible like and then you just get used to it we're all diverse we all look different i want to go to that so okay. badly yeah no it's, it's definitely worth looking out for every year they do it in different venues and uh it's like a one-off thing it's not like a kind of all the time it's like a sure. it's almost like a secret gig you have to kind of find out about it um that's nice we i um went to a friend's house last week because uh, she's a life model as well and she's also into shibari like rope play right. stuff which is a world that i don't know that much about so she was kind of being tied up and suspended in a way that wasn't sexual which was really interesting to see like oh, okay this is bondage as a non-sexual bdsm act um but she was sort of being suspended or tied up and then there were like five of us and we were all drawing right. and that was really really fun but I think what we've spoken about in the next time we do it is for everyone who's coming there being up for posing so we'll all take it in turns to pose in right. different like in different ways and like if she wants to do the shibari stuff or if someone else wants to bring something else to it kind of a, a space for all of us to be a bit playful with the way that we model right. but then what I would hope with that is that you model and you t- you keep your clothes off and so by the end of it it's just everyone drawing together and chatting and being in this space right. and really comfortably nude because it's a lovely thing being naked with your friends I don't do it often enough um, right this is true yeah it's just it's oh yeah it's I've really done it I've occasionally as a student in like house parties or whatever I've been naked with my friends but as a like after that period of my life it's not been something that's that's come up as much and it's and it's sad yeah. like it, and, and again like when you're in those sort of situations as a, a student or whatever that's often because you know you've you've all had to get drunk to do it or whatever like and mm. again that's not the best model uh for, for for like being in your own body and enjoying life like don't necessarily take substances i'm not against it either i think that there's a place for substances too but but i think you should always do if you're doing something with substances, you should have done. You should do it Gotta at least d- once without it, right, so exactly. you know. Yeah, it's true. Not even as a before. Like I'm not. I'm not a how. This isn't like a how-to sex and drugs guide or anything. But I think it's just really interesting knowing what something's like without right. anything. In the same way that it's it's really fascinating taking just one drug. A lot of the time, yes. if you're kind of doing this as like a night out wild thing, people are taking lots of different things, or they're taking one thing, but also with alcohol, which we oh, don't yeah. really classify as a yeah, drug. Yeah, like, exactly. It's really fascinating to narrow them down and say, okay, I'm just going to see what this thing's like. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like a good form of like if I if, if we could have drug education if, if we didn't have prohibition the way we have yeah like I would definitely advise people to like try drugs separately find out like what's a, a small dose do what does a larger dose totally, do yeah. all of those kind of things and those kind of approaches are not bad approaches to sex as well like you know like try out something a little bit see if you like it like, don't just jump into BDSM or whatever please don't I mean I say this <laughs> I, I don't I've never really engaged in, in BDSM yet 
yet, uh, particularly. Although I think what I agree with, like when you say said earlier on that everybody is kind of like it's 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 not that much of a an unusual element for people to be interested in in terms of desire yeah. because it's a spectrum. And so when I say I'd, I've not done BDSM, it, that means I've not done like official BDSM. But there's you know, always elements of power and stuff going on. In I any don't think it's something that you can avoid in terms of like experience. daily life and yeah, as well life, as sex. Life, yeah. But we, but I think a lot of the time people will have an image of what that looks like, which is like really extreme and comes from like probably something pornographic or a story or a tabloid or something it's like you very much get that oh bdsm is someone all in latex as a dominatrix or a dom and doing all of this stuff and it's kind of like yeah that's that is one school of bdsm but there's so much else that goes on around it and it's sort of interesting to think about how i don't know if someone's fascinated in with pain right you can do that in a very BDSM-y yeah. way of like the typical what we're all thinking of but then you can also do that in a way that's playful and thinking well what if I take away that power and fear out of it and I just focus on what that sensation is doing right. like all of the more that you unpack things I don't know I'm just quite fascinated in going a bit deeper and deeper and seeing well that's right and also the, why. Th- the thing the reason I often sort of think oh, I'm not I don't do that kind of thing is because I'm not really into pain mm. like um, I, I'm, I'd be prepared to I'd be prepared to provide pain for somebody else if that's what they asked me to do. Yeah. But I'm not too into experiencing pain. But it's a request, pain. it's not something that you want I don't, to... Yeah, I, I don't want to experience pain very much. Um, which is not to say... That, but that, but, but that's one element of, of a whole... Like, So there's, there's lots of things that aren't painful that I probably very much enjoy that are in that kind of area, but they're just not about pain. Maybe. Yeah. But even it's not something that has to be sexual as well. Like I, I really, really like being bruised. Not in, not in a way that turns me on in any way. But like I, I, I bruise quite easily as well. Um, So and I bump into stuff all the time. So I'll kind of just find a bruise on me that's like I have no recollection of where that came from, what was going on. But actually, that is, I think it just makes me a bit more aware that it's a body and that there's stuff underneath it and things that. I don't quite comprehend or understand and how it works. It's a, it's a really, yeah. and then watching a bruise change and right. seeing the color and stuff. There's so much stuff there like that's the, really cool, right. and yeah, that can definitely be translated to an explicitly sexual context. But also, that's me feeling like a kid as well, of like being gardening this morning. It was really cool to see like really thick, juicy worms and snails and things right. doing, and like wood lice just doing their thing because I genuinely don't think I've been in that environment right. since I was a kid when which is the time when if you have a garden or if you're in the park you spend a lot of time outside right. I don't tend to do that much right now right. I'll go for walks but I'm not like <laughs> crouched down on the floor looking right. at all of the little in bugs the world, and what they're yeah. doing it's something that's really visceral um, and I think that kind of fascination with a bruise or like if you've got a cut or a scab, it kind of it feeds into that right. just as much as it could feed into something sexual. Yeah, well, I mean, I used to work with the under fives and I loved that about working with the under fives is that they would Amazing. make you see the world again. Mm-hmm. Like because you'd have to explain like something that you'd never thought of having to explain. And suddenly you're like, wow, I'm seeing the grass differently. I'm seeing the grasshopper on that grass or whatever it is. Yeah, Like that's it. It's like... It's interesting what all of the things we're talking about, like being like, like bodies are something that you can like enjoy 
in a sexual way, but they're also something that aren't that they're not necessarily sexual. And there's yeah. this weird kind of thing where we often see bodies as only being sexual, and yet we don't see bodies very often at all. So it's kind of like a weird, yeah, uh, weird way of it going. And we have a weird ownership over our bodies, and and uh, in a way of thinking that we are how do I phrase this? Like we're entitled to to change and edit our bodies, which obviously we can and should be doing like it's good to exercise it's good to not eat junk food all the time and it's good to think about what you put into your body not only food because of you but because of other things as well this is the like typical like i'm a vegan plug thing as well but (laughs) (laughs) but but that's kind of an interesting conversation to have but also that kind of it upsets me when people when i see people like resisting the change that their body is just doing naturally um so much like you can see people a lot of the time celebrities because we look at them with a very different eye you might see a celebrity who naturally it doesn't look like they're meant to be that slim or that built up or that whatever and it's kind of and then aging as well like i was it's quite sad seeing like the real housewives sort of embody that of women who are so desperately trying to hang on to youth and end up really looking quite bizarre in in that struggle and that kind of that battle is really visible um i don't know it's just i'm i'm obviously very privileged in this because i'm still youthful right so i don't know how i will feel as my body ages and changes but i i would hope that i would have some realism about it of thinking yes this is changing and i there are things about that that makes me happy there are things that make me sad or confused or whatever but at the end of the day it's just a body and that's fine but then editing your body and there's loads of things that that means as well like you, you have pierced ears i think you've got yeah. purple uh, no pink hair i think God, like somewhere yeah, so in that's between really purple fucking and pink hypocritical, hair. isn't it? Then I'm but, like, I mean, it's not bleached hair, tattoos, and ears. Exactly, like, right. All tattoos of that is, stuff, yeah. is, a, is another way we edit our bodies. Mm. It's, it's just a, in a way, I think it's almost about why. It's like, what's the reason? Are we editing our bodies through joy or through shame? Like, yeah. like that's that seems to me to be the thing. It's like, do what like full body bodily autonomy. Like, it's like I'm massively in favour of it. Like, people have should do whatever they want with their bodies as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But but um, why? Like, ask yourself why. Like, what you, why? I guess it's the same kind of thing with, like, whether you want to sleep with someone or not. You yeah. ask yourself why. Like, why, why do I want to do it? Am I doing it because I hate myself and I know that sleeping with this person will help me to hate myself more? Or, it, it, do you know what I mean? It's all... Yeah. I guess it's sort of working in terms of the way that we change our bodies. Because everyone changes bodies as well. I think I said that in a really simplistic way. Um but it's about working with nature rather than working against nature. Like if you're trying, if you're trying to like fight something and something that's naturally happening in a really extreme way, you're just not going to win, are you? Right, like that's it's, fair. It's not like you are aging, so there are lots of things that you can do to change your appearance and change things around that. But it has to be around; it can't be instead of. Right. Like the, I guess that that's kind of what I meant by that no I think that's I mean I think that's very I mean I think that it was a very interesting like way of looking at things but there's so many different ways you can go because obviously you know some people edit their bodies kind of because they're transitioning between one gender and another I was was about to say that I'm sure those people are are very much in both our minds now of like no 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 like we're not saying that you shouldn't like do that necessarily like it's like that's the there's so many different ways of approaching science is just really fascinating (laughs) in terms of what you can what we are able to do the fact that people 
people are able to realize uh, something that is psychologically a fact in their minds right. are able to realize that physically is is like baffling to me it's so interesting and, and like it's a really fascinating time to be able to right. have those options right. so I don't as soon as I started to pick apart my own argument I was like oh fuck that's like the most obvious thing isn't it that where it's we I encourage people to um, use hormone replacement therapy and to have like surgery that alters people's bodies for whatever reason yeah. which may well be around like gender reassignment but I, but that even then when we talk about trans issues a lot of the time the expectation from outsiders is that first of all you go from one to the other right like so trans is just like oh you well. were a man now you're a woman right. cool i can get my head around that you were a man and now you're somewhere in between all these things yeah i have problems understanding that now so that's something i come across a lot with at work and then on top of that it's like okay someone can identify as trans someone can identify as any gender and they have no requirements to do anything to change their physical right. appearance or genetic appearance, like yeah. appearance, it's the right word. Um, and that's fascinating because I think a lot of the time now there's the expectation of like, well, there is really refined technology that's right. around right. hormones and surgery and what have you. Uh, but just because it's there doesn't mean you need to use it. Right. Use it if you want to. It's but about finding what works for you and what yeah. works for your body. And also, like, society not telling you what you should do. Like, and I think that that's where the issue of choice and all of these things gets really complicated. Because mm. it's like, like, when you're talking about someone kind of doing cosmetic surgery, like, sometimes that might be about finding what works for them sometimes that might be about doing what they think they have to do because society tells them to do it yeah. and that can be on whatever level like like so i think it, that's the thing it's like interrogating why we do what we do but like allowing everybody yeah. to do what they do and it doesn't it doesn't mean that things stop i mean i think you need to be self-awareness is a is a really important thing to harness as much as, to, as possible but being self-aware doesn't mean that your actions necessarily change right so you could be doing exactly right. the same thing but you're just aware that that's what you're doing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right i mean that's basically my life in those ways <laughs> i am publishing a book through unbound unbound are a publishing company which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is their half publishing company and half crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing. If you go to the Unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. The way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it, sharing it on social media, recommending it to other people, those kinds of things. You can find out what the book is fully about 
by reading about it on the page. There's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about. But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem but it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So... Listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. Is that a, is that a coincidence, you sort of opening up your relationship and starting this seven years ago? What happened it's then? What happened seven years ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, I don't know, like, so... Yeah, so it's been 17 years, so it must have been... I st- must have, I think I started this a, y- a year or so before, like, uh, we opened up our relationship, I guess. Um, yeah, but I think it has all been similar, mm. coming from the same place. Like, talking to people, like, one of the things this show was originally about, whether I've achieved it or not, I don't know, it was about learning to listen better to people, uh, trying to change myself to to find a way of, like, getting better, like, in terms of being a human being and existing in the world. Um, And so, yeah, I guess opening up my relationship has been part of that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's weird, because it's been... It's been six years now. Like, so now it, like... The first couple of years, you get, like, worried that, like, everything's going to go wrong, and then you're going to, like be a bad kind of poster child for non-monogamy to all the people that you know in your life yeah um but you know it's it's, it's not gone wrong at this point my dad had a um, my dad kind of had open relationships uh back before like uh, cool. we had all the, like the, the cool <laughs> theories around it um and did it terribly like did did did, did uh, bad non-monogamy um mm-hmm. but having his experience to learn from, I think, has been really helpful for That's us. That's nice. We like I... interviewed him loads, like me and my partner, like for like like before we decided to open it up. Like we we're like, right, let's get to right the bottom of like what you did. That's like, such an wrong. amazing thing, like resource that you can tap into because I yeah, it it's, was. it's hard not knowing loads of people who it's hard. I don't know loads of people who are non-monogamous, um, but yeah, also I you don't have many role models. I don't know that many people who are older than me and have been non-monogamous for a long time right. or have been for a while and changed I'm, it would be really fascinating if this is something that continues to kind of be some an option for people the next generation will have a generation ahead of them who have done this and who right. have tried and who've done this with maybe parenting or like loads of different just the things that happen later on in your life that I'm not switched well, on to Well the problem yet. has always been that people have been like silent about their non-monogamy 
Like, mm. So like my dad got the You're idea. Right, yeah. I mean, one of the places that the idea of being non-monogamous came to my dad was that, you know, he was at school with tutors who uh, went off. Like he was at school during, like he was, my dad's 94, I should say. That, yeah. that's part to explain this but sure. he, his tutors were, were conscientious objectors at school um, who were like teaching because they didn't want to be fighting but then they changed their minds and sort of joined the war effort became part of the special operations executive and like were dropped into France and all kinds of crazy things um, but well, one of the things that he, he he learned from them is that like is the idea that you can open up your relationship so like the war was a big yeah. time for that actually well the first person the person he lost his virginity to was his his teacher's wife like she'd gone like he his teacher had gone to France and she was uh, still in the UK and they had an agreement that they could sleep with other people during that time wow and like she decided like uh, my dad I guess was going to go off to war as a young person so she, I think she would, wanted to make sure his first kind of sexual experiences were not what they might be if he just went into the army and experienced things the way he did afterwards yeah um so I, I think she wanted to kind of make a kind of like a a nice thing before he went off That's into the, the world I think yeah you're so right it's not that it doesn't happen but it's that people are able to talk about it a bit more now which is nice right even even though I still feel quite defensive sometimes. I so I was polyamorous um, previously in a relationship that was us going from monogamous to polyamorous, and we did all the like read all the books and were really chuffed that we'd done all of this theory. And actually, then living it is completely different. Right, right. And right. so I think we're very <laughs> confident of like I know this. I listen to podcasts. Of right. course, I know what I'm doing. But it's different um, for everybody. Like... It's different for everyone, and it's really hard to know. It took a year of of finding out that actually what we wanted out of non-monogamy was very different and we just as much as we had had lots of conversations about things we hadn't had conversations about some of the right the most important things um but i think that was that during that relationship was when i was kind of telling lots of people about this and i'm quite an open book and an open person anyway um so i didn't have anyone that i needed to hide it from i'm lucky that my family my parents are fantastic and really supportive about lots of things i do which is nice so i kind of i told lots of people but very much was uh having to go through all of these conversations of like well this is a thing that you can do and this is how it works and people get very defensive because it's it can sort of feel like an indirect attack on their own yes, choices. Right, I, I find that, talking about that in terms of diet as well, if suddenly with some crowds, if you say that you're vegan, everyone starts to bristle because it's suddenly like an attack on what they're on the fact that they're not. Right. Which isn't what I mean in any way in terms sure. of like monogamy or what you put in your stomach or anything. Um, but but that relationship ending was fascinating in terms of my friends and family uh, kind of presuming that I had tried something and then it had failed and so I wasn't going to do that again right, and, and, th- and actually I think quite a few people were surprised that then in my next relationship I don't I think I've moved away from the phrase of polyamory mostly because I'm actually too I've been in love with more than one person at once and it's lovely um, but I don't have time 
Like, yeah, I, right. I work full time and I right. do loads of stuff, but it's just too much. Polyamory involves a lot of like diaries. It's really Google and yeah, and and, and I and I know it can work and it does work for some for lots of people. Yeah, but for sure. me, it was just a too much. I found myself having too many like big earnest conversations, and it stopped being fun. Right. Um, so, like, not an attack on polyamory in general, um, but I think using that word. Um, it's starting to have as much of an expectation as monogamy does of like right. polyamory is a certain right. thing right, and then right, right. people within a community can get a bit tetchy if you're not doing it in that same way or there's an expectation from outsiders that this is a certain way that you communicate or behave whereas well, non-monogamy is kind of a, a blanket nothing it's like queer saying identifying as queer you can be identifying as lots of, lots different, of different things, things within yeah. that and, and you have room to change and adapt right. Um, and similarly, non-monogamy is like, okay, that could mean anything, and so I'm, I have more agency in, with using that language, I guess. Right. Um, but, I, but I kind of had to do, I had to sort of like come out all over again of saying like, no, I'm in, I'm with someone new, and we are, I am still doing this. It's different, but, and I've adapted, but that doesn't mean it's a failure. It doesn't right. mean that well, polyamory is a terrible idea, and I should have never done it. It's like, no, I've actually just. I've begun to work something out and however I choose to carry on living my life if that's being non-monogamous in different ways or choosing not to be at times or choosing not to be at a certain age or whatever right. it is um, that doesn't mean that that the experimentation is is like a phase or like a oh she's just trying things out it's like yeah that's that's what life that's what is life I'm is. just trying things but I mean I think it's like monogamy and non-monogamy aren't even like they're both part of the same spectrum and mm. like everybody is in somewhere in the middle and actually like if we talked about these things a lot more I think people would realise that, that what we call monogamy is a masses of different kinds of relationships that work in different kinds of ways yeah. like the idea of one relationship fits all is just well I guess toxic is, 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 is the word I'd use for it which is not to say that I'm against monogamy because I, I feel like that's a relationship style that yeah. can work for lots of people and I'm not like pro non-monogamy to the point where I don't think that there are lots of people who hurt other people when they're when they're doing that mm. it's just the the like this idea of like one way that we can be that we have to fix ourselves into it just doesn't seem very healthy I guess I think I'd use the word unfair right I feel, right, I okay. feel interesting I feel like it's really unfair that we are born with expectations of how our relationship should should behave, right. how we should be with our bodies, how we are expected to express ourselves. It's kind of then goes into all of this like sex relationships yeah. stuff. It's it's really unfair that we don't give people the opportunities to decide something from from a neutral point. Right. I worked with um a young person a couple of years ago who is from I think the Netherlands and she grow we were both we were talking about um she was a volunteer like it was it was an appropriate conversation to be having right. with this person i don't want it to sound like i'm this is the these are the chats that i would just have with like any young person i was working with right. um she was talking about bisexuality with me and so i was kind of talking about my own experience with that of of coming to terms with the fact that i wasn't heterosexual quite late because it was easy to just be heterosexual. I didn't. Mm, I wasn't yeah, given an right. opportunity or a space to actually explore or challenge that. Right. Um, and then, and also, I think because he, women are given more opportunities to be beautiful and be seen as beautiful, um, 
a lot of childhood experiences I'd had of, of thinking, oh, that person's amazing and I really like them and I really like the way that they look but that's just because I'm an aesthetic person and I like the way that things right, when they look nice right, right. and then it was kind of turning around and going oh no you really fancied them right. and it's and that's interesting how I that wasn't visible to me for so right. long so we were having this whole chat and then and she was kind of looking at me really baffled and said I I've had conversations with people like this before and it's so strange that that's your experience of that because I grew up um without an expectation that heterosexuality was normal right. and so when I was 10 I told my friend that I fancied someone in our school who was also female and they were quite they were they were the, their reaction was the first time I realized that that wasn't usual and actually obviously there are risks involved in that in someone feeling safe and supported and stuff like that but what an amazing opportunity to have to come to that decision and understanding about yourself just organically and alone rather than it being it having to be a fight against something that's not a norm and a need to have this like big coming out of like this is who I am now and you have to make that statement if people just presumed less and let people kind of be inquisitive and work things out for themselves it would be really lovely i have no idea how we get to that right. <laughs> in, I mean, in theory it's a great but you're thing absolutely right i mean i think that's the thing like uh, like people who think that they're straight never question their sexuality right mm. like people who aren't straight have to at some point or if they're lucky they get to a point where they they have to come to terms with this kind of the norm and what they feel and where they are mm. but a lot of people who are like are assumed to be straight are not even like experiment they're not even opening up the uh, possibility that they might be it's the same with gender all of the all, all sorts of yeah. things like like if you are the the kind of what is considered the default you don't question these things yeah I guess it's like you you are allowed to be there's also then that kind of backlash of people thinking oh well I must then be something that's that's out of the ordinary and all that bullshit but actually it's like no you can you are very welcome to be cisgendered straight monogamous whatever it's not just about sexuality or gender but like but as long as that's an active choice because so many people are inactively monogamous right. or inactively cisgendered right. because they've just not checked in with themselves had that fucking conversation right. and really just opened it up as a as possibility like i guess with you talking about masculinity there's a rigidity there of like yeah. well if you if you if you try and investigate a bit more maybe everything will shatter so i'll just stay as i am now and i won't challenge anything and i'm just going to keep doing this but actually if you're if you're able to investigate a bit um something could actually become stronger because it's something that is an act of choice it's a it's a desired state right 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 if exactly like if you are straight then if you experiment with other kinds of uh, approaches uh, you will only find that that will confirm that you're straight right like yeah. potentially like, i mean I, I i call myself straightish because i'm not i'm not quite straight but i'm not i'm not i'm not lucky enough to be like able to get into like well like cis men really like fully is a difficult thing for me to 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 get into into like sexually but not not um not completely mm. like not in all contexts well, I and just certainly think it's like ridiculous that people think you're gen- like you're genuinely just writing off 
any right. form of interaction right. with half the population. Because if you have a threesome, then I'm sorry to tell you, men who've had threesomes, <laughs> but like you, 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 you know, particularly if you've had a threesome with another man. So I don't want, um, I don't want uh, sort of straight heterosexual. Uh, that's the same thing. But like, I don't want the kind of default men to suddenly be more afraid of, of having men involved in their yeah. sex acts. But at the same time, if you had a threesome with two men and a woman, then and you're a man, one of those men, you've had sex with a man. You're as sharing well. a you've sexual sex experience with, yeah. with it two different where people. Penis is gone. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. And that's what's nice. I mean, that's what I'm, that's kind of, I guess, where, where I realised I was straight-ish was when I went to sex clubs and had kind of yeah, like, like oh, it's fun yeah. sharing this. Well, thing we're with all you. having that's sex nice. together. Therefore, like, I, I can't be fully straight. Yeah. Like, that, that's good. That's good. That's okay. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it's a nice way of wording that. I guess I always, I think at its core. A lot of sex ed is is ask is kind of reassuring people and answering the question, "Am I normal?" Right. And that's not just right. young people; that's adults as well. I think a lot of the time, people are just really preoccupied with being normal. Um, and it's nice to reassure people and say, "Yes, you are," because everyone's different, and that's cool. Uh, but also, I was at I did a talk in London a couple of months ago, and. Then I went to a, one of the other talks at this festival and they were talking about this in the context of disability, but this can be applied to everything and very much applies to my work and my way of thinking that we, the, you, the use of the word normal is really toxic and mm. we actually need to stop right, using that right, right. because if we put something as normal, then everything else, by contrast, is abnormal. When actually um, something isn't normal, right. something can be usual. So right, in, that nice. context, in that context, That's they were saying it's, it's usual to not see people with a disability, with a visible disability um, on telly and in film. But in the same way, it's like, yes, it's usual right. for, for the, to be heterosexual, but that doesn't make it normal. That's right. the most, that can be the most common way of identifying, but that is, that makes it no better, worse, more complicated, right. um, more exciting less exciting than any other sexuality and we don't know what would be usual if people opened up in different ways anyway like we don't know what would be usual if everybody got to discover what they were rather than like had to feel like they were had to fit one of very limited roles that we that we offer kids i mean depending on their class they might have a few more options Mm. in terms of the, the possible futures that people see for them yeah but still and like race and all of those things they complicate it but at the end of the day whoever you are in society like when you're born there are very limited expectations for you and that's incredibly and it is really sad sad, that isn't it yeah Yeah. so I kind of I've it's I'm on like a mini crusade now trying to explain that and talking and using that usual thing even though I I stumble upon it a lot of the time as well um it's sort of you once you've switched on to something like that you realize how often right uh people how important language is in like making people feel separate or as or part of a pack right like language can be incredibly isolating um in ways that we don't really think about right all the time wang on about the using the word vulva because even as a sex educator that's something that a word i don't hear a lot right that's very true um and i went to a drag show a, a few weeks ago that's female identifying performers and a lot of their jokes were about sexuality and about genitals but 
one one woman in particular who was fantastic kept saying vagina when what she meant was vulva and I was a bit pissed and started like and almost it, I, I'm so glad I didn't but like I almost shouted out or wanted to go up and say something to her after right. and I think I would have looked like a dick if I'd done that so I'm glad I didn't <laughs> but, but it was really it was kind of upsetting to think you you don't realise that you are using the wrong language because in saying vagina when actually you mean vulva you are then in explicit in explicitly saying sort of well the the thing that's the most important about female genitalia is the vagina which is going to penis and vagina sex being like the the only form of like normal in quotation marks sex the standard sex i guess um it's also linking to fertility and to childbirth and that that's just a thing that a woman does um it also completely disregards the clitoris as a as a form of pleasure it's kind of all of those things stack up just in the way that we that we use a word um and also, I think vulva sounds nicer. Yeah, as well. I mean, I agree with it's that. It's a nicer word. That, uh, argument too. But people, but if I say vulva, people kind of yeah have maybe heard the word. Well, I say it in my like, show. Oh, what's going on there? All right, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, word. I mean, I say it in my show, and there's often like people are momentarily confused. <laughs> like, it's, there's definitely a moment when, like, but yeah, when I use the word vulva, that yeah, like people are like, what? Like, they expected a different word, and then they realise, like, there's a moment. The context of what I'm saying implies what well vulva is, yeah. so they get it. But also, like I think we we've maybe all heard that once or twice in biology at school. So it kind of like someone has a people have vague memories of it, but it's it's not a word that people use like hardly ever, like yeah. like you say. And it's a and it's a kinder word, I guess. It's just I it has less social connotations to it, so I feel like it's more exciting to use because it's That's more true. genuine than vagina. Just in, also in terms of the way it sounds, doesn't sound particularly friendly or inviting. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad that you do that in your storytelling. Yeah. Well. No. I mean, it's and I think like yeah. I mean, you don't want to. Like you have to be. Care- I have to be careful. I can't be sort of like. I can. I, I, I don't want to end up in a situation where I'm like mansplaining to women about what they should call their genitals um, but, but that show is aimed at a, men so it's easier and that's not a space <laughs> where you're doing that necessarily you're not right. you're not like in your show you're not saying vulva and then saying by the way this is the right, right, right. you're just using that word but so also, there are, that, that's a that's an interesting way of just planting a seed in someone's mind rather than telling them that they've been wrong and that this is what they then but also to la- be doing I mean language evolves as well so that's the other thing mm. like like many people using the word vagina are, are meaning vulva and over time yeah that might be the winner and it might just be that that we have to find a new word for vagina because everybody started using it for vulva like that's yeah, how sure. a lot of words have happened um so who knows but like definitely talking about why those different words exist and what those what what, what our anatomies are yeah like those are super important uh things to do and like yeah like it's weird how how rarely those conversations have come up. I mean, mm. you do them all the time, in a way. I'm going to make them happen like... even more. <laughs> Everyone's going to have these conversations with me if they want to or not. Obviously, only if they want to. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been real, like, fun, like, out here in your back garden talking about, mostly about bodies and monogamy and sex. It has been fun, hasn't it? Thank it's you very been great. much for coming around. Um, the last question I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? So... On June the 17th in London, I will be running a workshop at the Togetherness Festival, which is an intimacy festival. Um, It's about 
noisy birds. It's parakeet. There's parakeets. So it's an intimacy festival. It's about kind of intimacy relationships. It's not it's not about sex in a like sex party e kind of way. It's just really lovely, fun space. So have a look on there. My friend Rosie and I are starting a body positive life drawing class called Body Love Sketch Club. Uh, so people will be drawing us and we'll both be instructing and modelling. There'll also be opportunities to pose and be drawn as well as draw um, so it's it's kind of through art us chatting about bodies and why we have these things and why we feel weird about them oh wow that um, sounds really great yeah so we'll be taking that to Wilderness Festival and um, Togetherness Festival in Bristol and then Togetherness Festival in September as well when we're doing um, like a retreat thing there um, so that's coming up I do talks and lots of things so the best way to find out about that kind of stuff is through social media so on instagram i'm ruby rare uh which i like instagram i'm slightly reluctant about twitter which is uh underscore ruby rare um but i might i might talk about some of the stuff i'm doing there on there as well <laughs> <laughs> i know what you mean instagram's a friendly it seems a safer friendlier place in some ways yeah just as a visual person it's more right. appealing and and like i i just talk about what I'm doing at work and throw around condom demonstrators and condoms and people (laughs) seem to like that on Instagram as well (laughs) right right and people should also check out Brooke uh like absolutely which yeah I mean I know a few people who are involved with Brooke in different ways and people who've really recommended Brooke like over the years I've been in London um and it sounds like yeah they're doing amazing things like you're doing amazing things well thank you thank you for doing it I do try my best yeah, and I, all the people that I work with at Brook are absolutely bloody amazing. So it's really, it's an amazing team of people who just genuinely really care about this stuff. So yeah. it's a really lucky working environment that I've got. Brilliant. Uh, and the last thing I ask my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay. Hello, audience. Um, it's been very nice uh, talking at you. Thanks for listening to me ramble on about weird stuff. Have a really lovely day, whatever you're doing, and maybe I will see you one day and uh, we'll have a lovely conversation in real life. Thank you and goodbye. Bye. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, if you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering you can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk if you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship Check out my essay series, Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at 
GBA podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook and you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.